Amen, and thank y'all. The scripture today is from Philippians 2, starting with verse 5. And as we find it together, let's pray. Lord, we pray today that you would open up our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that as we read your scriptures together, we would read them with your Spirit within us and Christ walking beside us. And that as we hear your word proclaimed, we would um, hear it with ears that the Spirit would give us. And that we would hear it as the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray this so that we may uh, learn what it means to work out our own salvation. And so that we may learn what it means for you to work in us, calling us to you. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Philippians 2, beginning with verse 5. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I had the opportunity to visit with Danny Dill earlier this week before his surgery and was was talking to him. And I'm always... I always enjoy talking to him, and especially when we talk about his work, as y'all all know, of course. Uh, he's a crane operator, and he works on these um, you know, petroleum refineries. And whenever I talk to him, I'm reminded of several drives that I've had uh, down along I-10 through uh, South Louisiana and East Texas, um, and the refineries that you would see on the side of the road as, as you drive down that way. And how there are this intricate maze of pipes and buildings on a scale that I find very hard to imagine. Maybe some of you with an engineering sort of mind can easily conceive of how all that can be put together. But to me, it's utterly amazing. Just the the, um, really incredible creative capacity of human beings. That we are able to do so much. So much, really. Uh, In John Wesley's sermon uh, that goes by the same title as this one, really from which I have stolen the title, uh, on working out your own salvation, he talks about how human beings are capable of this sort of insight, not only in a technical way, but um, in a spiritual way, and even close to a doctrinal way. He says, you know, uh, human beings are able to, um, even before Christianity, were able to discern some of the attributes of God, God's omnipresence, uh, God's omnipotence, God's omniscience, the way that God uh, is everywhere, that God knows all, 
uh, and that God sees all, and that God is capable of anything. We were able to, to know that, even before uh, the specifics of Christianity came along. And he says, you know, and, and uh, human beings are also capable of good and evil. We're capable of discerning that. And ultimately, Wesley will say that's the gift of God, that God has enabled us to do that. But still, uh, human beings uh, and the life that we've experienced it are capable of good and evil, and even of having a conscience that, that would direct them uh, toward good. And it's really amazing. But, he says, there's two things that we can't know apart from Christ. And there's two things we can't know apart from the good news that we have received about Jesus. And those two things are, first, that Jesus, the Son of God, has been given as uh, an offering for our sins. We can't know that apart from the good news of Christ, whatever else we may discern about God. And we can't know, second, the Spirit of God renewing us in the image of God. We need the gospel. We need Jesus to know those things. Jesus, the Son of God, offered for our sins, and the Holy Spirit given to us so that we can be restored in the image of God. And because of those glorious truths, we celebrate what we read here in Philippians 2 and what's called the Christ hymn, how Jesus, though he was God, he was in the form of God, he was equal with the Father, didn't exploit or didn't rob from God, but rather, but rather took on human form. Took on the form of a slave and knew what it was like to be a human being who knew suffering, who knew humiliation, and was a new obedience even to the point of death on a cross, and did all that so that he would then be exalted to God's right hand, to the Father's right hand, so that he could carry us with us, or carry us with him, so that we too could have a relationship with God, so that we could confess who Christ is, so that we could know God. And we celebrate, we celebrate that. But then there's a question. What do we do in response to that? What does it look like for us to know God in this way? For us to know Christ in this way? For us to know the Spirit in this way? And that's where we come to this line that will be the focus of what we'll talk about this morning. Uh, Paul says for us, it is to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's our response to this truth of Christ, to the truth of the Holy Spirit. That God is at work in us, that then we should work for our own salvation with fear and trembling, and then that those two things are connected. That's what Wesley talks about in his sermon on working out your own salvation. That's what we'll talk about this morning. What it means for God to be at work in us, what it means for us to work out our salvation, and then the connection between those two things. First, we have to know that God is at work in us. Or to go to uh, Philippians 2, uh, 13. It is God who is at work in you, enabling you to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who is at work in us. I want us to all capture this in our minds. So turn to your neighbor and say, God works in you. 
God works in you. That's good. Y'all did better than the other two this morning. All right. God works in you. That's what we need to know first. Um, salvation is from first to last, the gift of God. That's what we believe as Christians. It is for God's pleasure that he has saved us. God loves to save his people. It brings God glory when he saves us, just like it brings God glory when he created human beings in his image. And so we might also, I think, fairly say that it is by his pleasure that God has not only created us, but also saves us and brings us to salvation. God uh, glories in it. He is pleased to do it. That is an expression of fundamentally who God is, that God is a God of love who has called us to himself and works in our lives, works in our hearts and minds to restore us to his image. Paul says that it is a God who is at work in us, uh, enabling us to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's what it looks like for God to work in us, that we can then will and to work or then will and to do for God's good pleasure. You can take that kind of one of two ways, really both, both of these ways. Um, you can take that, what it means to will for God's good pleasure and then to do is that God gives us a conviction of who he is, calls us to inward holiness, converts us in our hearts, and then that's what it means for us to will as God would have us to will. And then the outward expression of that holiness that God has called us to is what it means to do for God's good pleasure. Wesley says this. We could also take it this way, that when uh, Paul talks about willing and working or willing and doing for God's good pleasure, that um, to talk about willing for God's good pleasure means that God changes our desires. He gives us uh, a will that wants to do what he wants us to do, a will that is conformed to his and then that we do or that we work, that our actions are a faithful reflection of that will that he has changed in our hearts. Most of us know uh, this through sort of a, a backwards way because we've all experienced temptation, right? And how does temptation work? I've never heard anyone say to me, well, you know, I was really tempted to do good. But I just found, you know, evil to be the more convincing case, right? It goes the other way. Uh, we are tempted to do evil, and it takes something supernatural to enable us to do good. We have to experience the gift of God to enable us to um, overcome that temptation. We have to be inspired, in a sense, to do good. It's the gift of God that enables us to be able to choose God. So it's God at work in us. We could say, like I said, that it's even inspired, and that gets to this idea of what inspired literally means is that uh, putting the Spirit in someone, or to use the image from when God created Adam, God makes Adam out of dust and clay, and then what does he do? He breathes into him the Holy Spirit. So this um, thing that was just a thing that was dust and clay that was matter that was atoms and molecules god then puts a life-giving spirit into that thing to make a human being and so that it is that our very lives are the gift of god and an expression of god's love for us Irenaeus was a theologian in the 200s one of the earliest uh, theologians in the church 
And Irenaeus said that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Why does God save us? Why does God even make us? Why does God breathe life into Adam? Why does God breathe life into us? Why does God call us to salvation? Why does he save us? Because it's God's glory. He glories in making us anew. That's the character of a loving God. And I would hope that each of you have experienced this at least in some way in your life in a relationship uh, where you love someone else. When you love someone else, you don't simply control them. You want that person to um, be in one accord with you, to think in the same way, to be of one mind with you, even, uh, even though they're a different person. Sometimes when we think about God's salvation and God working in us, what people kind of bring to mind is something kind of robotic where we're still just the matter and God's sort of pulling the strings and that's what it means for God to work in us. But that's not how God works in us scripturally. The way that God works into us is to breathe the Holy Spirit into us so that our own wills might be changed, so that we can be fully the human beings that God has made us to be and that God has saved us to be. I don't know, any of y'all Star Trek fans? Any big Trekkies, like, do you put on the like the, the costumes and go to the conventions? Probably not anybody, but surely most of y'all have watched Star Trek at some point. Either the first, uh, the first series or the second. I grew up watching Star Trek Next Generation with, with my dad. And, so I, and then I acquired a love for the older Star Trek later. In both of the Star Trek series, uh, there is a character who is learning what it means to be a human being. In the original series, that's Spock. Spock is from the planet Vulcan, uh, and in, on Vulcan, they are perfectly logical. They uh, are governed by reason. Everything that they do is based off of, uh, off of the mind, off of what you can derive from the physical world. Everything is rational. That's what it means to be a Vulcan. But Spock, even though he grew up on Vulcan, is half human. And so throughout the series, you... Uh, see him learning what it means to interact with these human beings on the Enterprise and learn what it means himself to be half human and to embrace that and to see uh, what it means to love, to see uh, what it means to have emotions, to become who he really is because he is, in fact, uh, a human being, even though he is also Vulcan. And uh, so you you see him learning what it means Um, to receive this gift of of humanity. That's really a part of who he is and who he's called to be. In the same way in Star Trek The Next Generation, you have Data, right? Data is uh, an android, he's a robot, and he wants to learn what it's like to be a human. So he imitates all these things that humans do, and eventually they give him a microchip or whatever that, that enables him to have human emotions, and he has to learn to cope with those emotions. And as you see with those two characters, with Spock and with Data both, they become much more interesting as they learn what it means to be human. They become more fully who they are in the story as they learn what it means to be human. And so, with the gift of God's love to us and the work of God's salvation in our lives, our humanity is a gift. God's spirit within us is a gift. And God's work is to call us to be fully human, 
and to work in our lives to love him in such a way that reflects who he is as the God of love who has made us to be his, who has made us to love him and made us to love our neighbors. And that's when we become true human beings, by the gift of God working salvation in us. But as you've probably already sensed, it's not just that God works in us, it is also that we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To work out our salvation. So, turn to your neighbor again and say, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says. What does that mean to work out our salvation? Sometimes people have imagined when they read this line, work out your own salvation, they think it means that, you know, if I do enough stuff, then I'll earn God's favor. But as we've already seen, that's not true. God has given us salvation. It is from first to last the gift of God. But it has to be used. Salvation has to be worked out. I mean, think about uh, if you might go to the gym. You arrive at the gym with a body and the muscles that you have and the life that you have. But to grow, to become stronger, to become more fit, you have to work out. right? You have to use that body that was given to you so that you can... Um, so that you can become who you are, are trying to be, that you can become fit. And it is something like that with salvation. Even though salvation is a gift from God, it's meant to be used. It's meant to be worked out. We are meant to grow. It's not meant to be a static thing that's given to us once, but it's something that uh, is worked out in our lives that should, in a sense, work its way out of our very being, that we have to respond to it. In fact, that we are responsible, that we are able to respond to God. This, too, is the gift of God. But it means that there is hard work for us to do to respond to God. It is our salvation that we are working out, Paul says, and Wesley points out that our salvation is much more than what sometimes people imagine. Because salvation isn't simply an instantaneous thing. It is the whole picture of what it means for God to transform a human being into who he has called them to be. It begins, Wesley says, with what we might call provenient grace. Grace has come before, has enabled us to respond to God. As we remember from the uh, original sin sermon that we talked about a little while ago, and then we talked about provenient grace as well. It is God that enables us to respond to him when we have no ability to respond on our own. And then because God has enabled us to respond to him, we can come to repentance, where we can turn away from our sins, where we can realize that we've gone astray and receive the grace of God and the gift of God to turn away from our sins and back to God. And then that we can be uh, justified, that we can be put in a right relationship. That's what justified means, just like the margins on a page can be justified and lined up on the right ends, that we can be uh, forgiven of our sins and put back in a right relationship with God, that we can be named as a member of God's family, and that we can know uh, that we are saved. That's what it means to be justified. The southern language for this is to get saved, okay? When we, people talk about getting saved, what they're talking about is being justified. And that is a key part of salvation. But it doesn't stop there. Because we are also called not only to be justified, but to be sanctified. 
to grow in grace, to learn what it means to be holy, to learn what it means to do good, to learn what it means to obey God's will, to learn what it means to follow God. Sometimes we sort of casually talk about salvation in the church, especially in the South, as a single moment, either in the past, that moment where you got saved, or in the future when you go to heaven. But we sort of leave out the middle. And there's a big middle that is also a part of salvation. And what it means to be saved is not only to experience God's grace in that instant, but to grow in grace with God, to learn what it means to be holy. Salvation is instantaneous. It can be given to us in a minute. It can be given to you today in a minute if you respond and say yes to God. But it's also gradual. It's also meant to be worked out in our lives. It's also meant to call us every day. It's not enough to say, I got saved X number of years ago, or I got saved on this date. Though we should glory in that fact. But we also have to live out salvation day by day and respond to God anew day by day. That's continually the gift of God, but it also requires a response on our part. It requires work on our part. I came across this great line the other day, and I wish I knew where it originally came from. Uh, it said, you know, Israel was taken out of Egypt in a single day, but it took 40 years to take Egypt out of Israel. In other words, God brought them out of bondage in a moment, in a day. They've escaped from slavery, but they have to wander the wilderness for 40 years while God teaches them what it means to be his people. And so it is with salvation. We are saved in a moment, or can be saved in a moment by God's grace, uh, in one sense. But then we are still being saved, that God is still working to call us to be who he has called us, uh, who he has made us to be. And so that's what Paul means when he says that, that we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That means that we have to take our spiritual lives seriously and that we have to continue the process of repenting and coming to God, of confessing our sins, of asking God to show us where we fall short. And I would hope that all of us would do that day by day. First, at least on an individual level. Um, we talked about some spiritual disciplines toward the beginning of the year in January and February and how that works through prayer and reading scripture. But one very simple thing that I would hope that we would do uh, from time to time, if not really every day, is that you would set aside time and, and ideally at the end of the day to ask, one, where did you see the grace of God in your life that day? And then two, where you sinned, where you fell short of what God has called you to be, so that then you can confess that sin, receive forgiveness, and grow. Because God doesn't want to leave you in his sins. He wants to save your whole person. He wants you uh, to be called, I and mean, he's calling you toward perfection. Jesus says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, he wants to complete salvation in you. Now, none of us are perfect yet. None of us are perfect. But God wants us to grow as his disciples. He wants us to learn what it means to be holy. So we have to examine ourselves. We, <coughs> excuse me, we also need each other as fellow Christians to help examine ourselves. I have a group of pastors, I think I've mentioned this before, that I uh, meet with every week to uh, talk about certain things that we have covenanted together to do. Uh, to pray for each other, to pray for ourselves, to pray for our churches, um, to uh, reading scripture, uh, to acts of justice and compassion and worship, um, and certain things that we've promised that we'll do each week. 
And so we go by one by one and we talk about what our lives have been like that week according to each of these things that we've promised to do. And sometimes we report, you know, I had a good week. I really, I prayed well this week and I, and I, I've been reading and I worshiped in this way and I had compassion in this way. And this is how I've experienced that. But sometimes we'll say, man, I really, uh, I did not do what I was supposed to this week. I didn't read scripture as much as I should, or I didn't pray as I should. I should have been compassionate to this person, but I didn't. Uh, I should have done justice in this occasion, but I didn't. And then each of us can ask, well, why didn't you? Well, you need to do better next time. And we can call each other and challenge each other to continue to grow in Christ. We all need people in our lives, whether that's a formal thing or an informal thing, and preferably it's a formal thing, to, to help us to do that, to do that hard work of responding to the salvation that has been given to us and continuing to work out our salvation. We also do that whenever we gather as a church and take communion, among other times. Um, Y'all probably know this implicitly, but, you know, preachers talk with each other about things that people say to them. Uh, Because sometimes you just got to say, I can't believe what somebody said to me. And we share that. I was talking to a friend earlier this week, um, and the conversation was about wild things that have been been said to us. Y'all are all good. No, I talked about my church in Nashville. So, uh, but but my friend said that someone told him that uh, she didn't like to do the confession when they did communion. Um, you know the confession, right? That we we pray, we pray, merciful God, we confess that we've not loved you with our whole heart. We failed to be an obedient church. We've not done your will. We've broken your law. We've rebelled against your love. We've not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray that whenever we take communion. She didn't like to do that, she said, because she didn't do any of that stuff. She, she's like, I, you know, I've been good. I haven't, I haven't, you know, not heard the cry of the needy. I haven't broken the law. She said, I'm good. The whole point of the, us praying that is so that we can examine ourselves. And the, the more we grow, the more I think we tend to realize where in fact we have not loved our neighbors, where we haven't heard the cry of the needy, where we've broken all, as, we, as God gives us more and more insight as to who we truly are. The whole reason we pray that is so that we can continue to work out our salvation and grow in holiness. You know, sometimes we're in an individualistic culture, but sometimes we just aren't very introspective, are we? The whole point of that is that we can examine ourselves so that we can check ourselves, so that we can work out our salvation. Because we have the confidence of knowing that God has saved us, but that God is still working in us. So as you probably sensed already, God works, therefore we work. And so these things are connected. How are they connected? Wesley puts it this way. God works, therefore you can work. And then God works, therefore you must work. God works, therefore we can work. And then God works, therefore we must work. What's it mean that we can work because God has worked? Well, that's when we talk about prevenient grace, the grace that has come before to enable us to respond to Jesus, to enable us to respond to God. That's what we're talking about. God has already given us the grace to respond to him, to say yes to him. And think Ezekiel uh, 36, 28, that God will, has taken away our hearts of stone and given us hearts of flesh. That God has given us the grace to say yes to him.
Or think of what Jesus said about salvation of the rich. Uh, Jesus says that it is impossible for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but with God all things are possible. With God all things are possible. And all of us fall into that category of of the rich man uh, from from a biblical perspective. It is only possible with God that God has given us the grace that we can say yes to him. Or think of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead and in the grave and starting to rot. He can do nothing to get himself up and going until Jesus shows up and says, Lazarus, get up and get out of there. It is only through Christ calling us that we can work, that we can respond to God. But because he has done so, therefore we must, therefore we must work. God has worked, therefore we must work. We have no excuse because God's grace has been given to everyone. Everyone is a recipient of prevenient grace, the grace that has come before to enable us to respond to God. Therefore, we're without excuse. We are responsible. Not only are we able to respond, but that it is required of us. It is incumbent upon us to respond to God. And so salvation from first to last is God's gift but then we have to respond to it. That can be a hard message for Americans to buy into because we are, uh, you know, sort of an individualistic culture. We sometimes believe in this myth of, quote-unquote, the self-made man, right? Uh, The person who just got it all uh, on his or her own. And we sort of, uh, you know, that pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps person we admire. And there's good things about that because responsibility is good and, and, and we should admire that. But what that leaves out is the reality that all of us have received goodness in our lives. Um, all of us uh, have uh, had someone take care of us to enable us to be who we are today. Uh, theologian Cornell West puts it this way. Uh, he says, I am who I am because somebody loved me. I am who I am because somebody loved me. That your life, you didn't earn it all on your own. You had parents or someone else who took care of you, who enabled you to grow into who you are. Or you had someone else good in your life who has enabled you to experience goodness. And so that at a purely secular, physical, familial level, we have experienced grace in our lives that has enabled us to be who we are. Uh, there's a... a, a ultimate fighting championship fighter named uh, Conor McGregor, who's a a Christian, who won a big fight earlier this month to become, I think, the featherweight champion. And, um, you know, people, uh, someone asked him about if he thought he was uh, sort of this self-made man. And he said, I honestly believe that there is no such thing as self-made. I believe that that, for me, uh, certainly does not exist. People have been around for me for my whole career and have helped shape this moment, this night, this moment, after his big victory, is for them. He knew that someone else had enabled him to respond. And that's the picture of grace and the picture of salvation that we have in this passage. That God has worked for us so that we can respond and so that we then must respond. So... If anyone thinks, you know, it's too late, I can't do anything, you need to rethink that. Because God has, through Christ, given you the gift of being able to respond and say yes to him. 
And if anyone thinks, well, I'm good to go, I got saved X number of years ago, but you're not doing anything about that day by day, you need to think again too, because Christ has called us to be saved in our entire person, in all of who we are. Augustine, another early theologian, put it this way, he who made us without ourselves will say will not excuse me will not save us without ourselves in other words god made us out of nothing or out of the dust of the earth he didn't need us to make us but the way that god will save us is by working through our lives so that we can be saved all of us and that means every single one of us but that also means all of our individual person god wants all of you God wants not only to forgive you, and God has not only forgiven you through Christ, but he has called you to be his disciple, to be his son or daughter, to grow with him, and to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's pray.